Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Judges, chapter four, verses one to 10. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord told them, sold them into the hand of King Jobin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived <clears throat> in Hiroshima. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophet, wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. <clears throat> she sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, position yourself at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulon. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jobin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Keshon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. The word of the Lord. During this summer, we are using as our primary preaching text stories from the Old Testament book of Judges. Last week, we learned of a repeating template of activity for the Israelites of old, a moment when they would become unfaithful to God, God would grow angry, allow another nation to overtake them, the people cry out to God, and then God sends a judge who restores peace, and it lasts as long as the judge lives. To this point in the narrative, there have been two times that cycle has demonstrated itself. First was a moment when the Israelites experienced eight years of hardship because of their unfaithfulness to God. God then sends them the very first judge known as Othniel, who serves for 40 years and brings peace, bringing them back into relationship with God. And everything is good until he dies. And then the people become unfaithful again. This time they're 18 years of trouble, and it ends only when the second judge, Ehud, comes into position of authority. He reigns for 80 years. And during his tenure as well, there is peace in the land, 
our passage picks up the point in that narrative as the cycle starts all over again. The Israelites, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, the commander of the army with Sisera. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Once again, God responds by sending them a judge. At that time, we heard, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. Deborah has a unique role in this book, as not only is she the lone female judge that we will hear about from ancient Israel, but she's the only one depicted in the narrative, too, who's carrying out the kinds of actions we depict for judges as their normal course of events, namely settling disputes. And yet Deborah, as a prophetess, also had other gifts, as she was able to receive these oracles from God, in particular, mapping out strategy for the Israelite army as they sought to defend themselves. And our narrative goes on to describe a moment like that. As she, she calls before her Barak, who is the commander of the Israelite army, and says this. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take position at Mount Tabor, bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you at the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. In response to that command, Barak says, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. In the face of disobeying a direct order, Deborah could have punished Barak, but instead she says to him, I will go with you. And they goes on to describe that the glory that is ahead will not be yours, but rather it will come at the hand of a woman. And then the part that we read simply wraps up the, those events, describing how Barak then follows the instructions and gathers together that army. As the narrative continues, it describes a really gruesome way that Israel achieves victory. And then next week, Becca will offer her sermon based upon a song of Deborah celebrating that victory. Yet on this day, we stop with this moment, in particular the conversation between this judge and this general. Now, as is true of anything that we only see in writing, it's hard to know the tone of voice that was being articulated by those two protagonists. Was Barak, for instance, in saying, if you will go with me, I will go with you, but if you will not go, I will not go, was that a word offered with a tone of not really trusting God? A tone of being fearful, uh, maybe even cowardly in the face of the task 
It's certainly possible. On the other hand, was it kind of a gracious and insistent word of encouraging Deborah to come with him, knowing that he would rely upon her oracles and her leadership for the journey ahead? That is possible as well. In the same way, when Deborah says to him, I will go with you, is the tone one of, well, of course I'll go with you. That's what a judge does. Or is it one of exasperation, of saying, if you insist, yes, I will go with you. We don't know. What we do know is that in response to that divine promise, Barak experiences this human confirmation in Deborah herself. I think that pattern is instructive for us. As you and I also have times when we set out for things that are new for us, things that can be uncertain. It comes when we receive the college diploma or when the moving van pulls away. It comes when we begin a new job or when we retire. It can come when we get test results or when we have to wait for seeing how the treatment affects things. It can come when we start a marriage or when we end one. In all of these moments of life, there are times when you and I set out into the unknown as well. Times when we have this promise of God's presence with us and need likely that kind of reassurance from one of God's human agents. There's a World War II era biography written by a man named E.B. Sledge. He was a young man from Alabama who volunteered for the Marines and after his training, he was assigned to the Pacific Theater, in particular on an island called Peleliu. There was fierce combat there between September and November of 1944, and he kept a journal about his experiences and, and actually kept it inside his copy of the New Testament. And he recalls how the very first time that he was in battle, how terrified he was, and even more so, how ashamed he was that that was how he reacted. After that particular battle ended, he was talking to his platoon leader, a man named, nicknamed Hillbilly. And his platoon leader said this to him. He told me that he was afraid to, and that the first battle was the hardest, because a man didn't know what to expect. Fear dwelled in everyone, Hillbilly said. Courage meant overcoming fear, and doing one's duty in the presence of danger, not being unafraid. His words buoyed me, lifted my spirit. And later we were joined by a sergeant as we shared a cup of coffee in silence. As we were sitting there, Sledge went on, I heard this loud and clear voice say, you will survive the war. And I looked up and said, did y'all did hear that? He said, 
I didn't hear anything. Turned to the sergeant and said, did you hear anything? He says, no, only the sound of machine gun fire over there in the distance. Sledge said in response, I'd always been suspicious of people who talk about visions or having these kinds of encounters with God. And I didn't talk to anyone else about what I so clearly heard in that moment. But I resolved right then that I would do something significant with my life after the war. Not all of us have these audible kinds of encounters with God. I've not had that kind of experience. Perhaps some of you have. And yet, like that young Marine, we have all had these moments when we're going through things that are new for us, things that are unsettling for us, and we have this promise that God will be with us. And in those kinds of moments, we all need these others, like Hillbilly in that particular account, who help confirm for us how we are not traveling alone. In the closing scene of the Gospel of Matthew, we hear of this moment, the final time the risen Christ is with his 11 remaining disciples. As part of that time, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. These 11 men were about to set out for the first time on their own. They had been tasked with establishing the church. And yet the parting word that Jesus gave to them was this reminder that they were not alone, but that instead he would be with them in every moment. And you and I are the recipients of that same promise. And yet we too times when we need it to be embodied in someone we can see. True story came to me years ago of a young girl named Sarah, seven years old. It was a stormy night, thunder, lightning, and she padded down the hallway to her parents' bedroom, and she grabbed her father's pajama sleeve and said, Daddy, I'm afraid. And so he picked up his daughter, put, him in, put her in bed between the two of them, and said, Honey, that's okay. You know that God is with you. And Sarah replied, I know that. But tonight, I need somebody with skin on. <laughs> As do we all. Which is why on this day, we stop and give thanks. For the witness of Deborah long ago. For the way it reminded one of God's servants then that he did not travel alone. And we celebrate those kinds of people in our life too. But even more than that, 
commit ourselves to offering that same gift to others too. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the unbreakable nature of your presence with us, for the ways that you go in every moment that we face. And we thank you for those whom you send who remind us of that gift and assure us once more that we are not alone. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.